Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Mixmasters. It's been a hot minute since I've had your ear, and I'm excited for this episode for a couple of reasons. Before I get started though, apologies for this really old and dated intro music. It still says welcome to season two. I need to get that fixed, I just haven't had time. But for this episode, it's a special two-part episode. This is episode number 50 of Mixmasters, and it just blows my mind that there are 50 of these episodes out there and that people listen to them and they're receptive to them. So thank you for listening to these episodes. Thank you for enduring my nasally Wisconsin voice. And thanks for listening to a lot of my stories, which I'm sure I repeat. But uh, the, the guest today is Dave Peterson. I've had Dave on a couple of times. Dave's got a couple of really exciting things happening in his world, and I wanted to share those. And then the second part of the episode features me. (laughs) It sounds crazy. I get so many questions via Instagram messages and emails and whatnot, and I'd been saving up those questions over the years here, and I finally flipped them over to Dave, and Dave graciously agreed to sort of interview me for this episode. So I feel weird having myself as a guest on this episode, but I guess it is what it is. Hopefully you enjoy it. If not, delete it, move on, and there will be some more episodes coming up in the near future. Thanks, as always, for your support. Tell a friend, subscribe, listen, rinse, lather, repeat, and I'll see you soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Mixmasters. I'm joined today by my very good friend and mentor and all-around good guy. Uh, Wait, mentor? What? (laughs) I was trying to butter you up a little bit. No, I think we mentor each other. We we bounce ideas off one another and uh, discuss things. Uh-huh. And I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. I okay, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll contact you and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing X. Would you do it? And you'll usually give me sound advice and vice versa. So, yeah, I like that. Okay, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. all right. So, uh, my peer, Dave Peterson, is with me here. And How are you guys doing? Dave, it's great to have you on the podcast again. It's great to be back. I feel like I'm like, what is this, episode three that I've been on? Like, I'm one of, like, the most repeat guests at this point. Crazy. Yeah, you're, you're almost up there with the Bryans and uh, yep. Drew and Eric. I think they're the, mm-hmm. the guys that have been on the most, but you're you're catching up. You're nipping at their heels. <laughs> <laughs> we were joking beforehand because both of us have been on the road pretty much nonstop since, I don't know, the last podcast I did. And we had to blow the dust off of this rig, so we're we're running pretty much new configuration, I think, on both sides. So if things sound a little different, that's probably why. Yeah, what am I? I'm I decided to go with a Telefunken M80 because I, I, my whole work box. I I got to drive to Lollapalooza tomorrow, and my whole work box is in there. And I was like, what? I have like five V7s, and I'm like, all right, I've done that. 
I know that sounds good. I'm like, but I haven't put this because I only have one M80. I've only put this on vocals a handful of times. So I was like, this is a good a way for me to just like listen to this mic a bunch with just a spoken voice. So and yeah, I guess this is now a rid rundown, whether you like it or not. Uh, baby face pro as per usual. Um, and then you probably can't see it, but I have a Sony a seven R three for my webcam because I couldn't find my regular webcam. <laughs> I'm using the SM7B microphone, which I usually use running through my DLive uh, with SoundGrid uh, Super Rack. And then, yeah, that's about it for me. Uh, I'm using a laptop webcam today. Not that anybody will see this, but just in case anybody's curious. Sold off my other webcam. And, yeah, just mostly had to blow the dust off this rig. I haven't used it in quite a while, and I just hoped that all of my patching worked and I remembered how it all went together, and it did. We love to see it. Always a good day. All right, Dave, you have been a busy bee. A little busy boy. A little busy boy. <laughs> Tell me what you've been up to, man. It's been, let's let's go back uh, in the last year. What have you been up to here? Oh, my goodness. Well, I think, like, we started talking about trying to do this episode, um, oh, gosh, back in, like, March or something like that. I was out with Steel Panther at the time. Um, I can't remember. It's at you or kind of bouncing around a few other camps. Um, so to catch up, yes, I did. Uh, I did uh, the first chunk of the American on the prowl steel Panther tour, um, hit, you know, like 90% of the house of blues in the country and a bunch of other places. Um, it was kind of all over the place. One of those tours where like you do like house of blues, I think it was Denver where it's like 4,000 cap. And then like the next day or the day before we were in some room that was like 300. So it was a lot of that, a lot of like, Oh my God, we could use everything today. Oh my God, we can use nothing today. Like just back and forth. And, um, which is always interesting to me because it keeps it, you know, keeps it fresh rather than like if when you walk into the same size room every single day, I feel like I start to just kind of like zone out and it starts to become autopilot rather than actually having to think. Um, so uh, that took me into April and then, did I go out with another band other than eventually I found my way to doing a uh, monitors and kind of just like stage guy. Um, I guess people are calling them like all techs now where you're like the monitor guy who babysits an iPad and you kind of help with backline because the monitor situation is kind of way easier now. Um, so I started doing that for bad, bad flower. Um, did that for about three weeks or so, kind of jumped in on the back half of a tour with them. Um, and then that got me into like May, June, July, and now today's August 1st at the time of this recording. And uh, just been slammed with my production company in Michigan, um, booking all sorts of, you know, concerts, local events, corporate events, um, staging, lighting, PA. We have a few venues that we work with regularly. So we're kind of leave PAs and leave rigs at uh, those places. Um, and that's kind of just kept me super busy. I've kind of taken on previously at this company, I was more of just a tech and then kind of just knowing what everything is to this year. It's been a lot of me like, okay, I'm going to one of these shows, but there's five shows this weekend. So I have to pack two trucks and each truck kind of has to do two shows and making sure all my labor and everything, basically all of the things that summate to being a production manager um, without necessarily really giving the title, just like someone has to do this. So I'm doing it. Um, 
So that's eaten up a lot of my summer. And we're just now getting kind of on the downward hill of that. July always is like craziness. And my girlfriend looks at me like I'm an absolute psychopath because I'm thinking about, do I have enough uh, power con to Edison for stage power in four different trunks? Like, and she's like, I don't know what any of that meant. <laughs> so that's kind of what I've been doing. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to catch up with you, but you guys also run one of the stages at Upheaval Fest, the lookout stage, which I believe was still up the hill this year. But mm -hmm. uh, did you guys, well, a couple of things I want to talk about real quickly. Mm -hmm. So you you have purchased a bunch of new PA. I want you to tell me about that a little bit. And then also just run me through the Upheaval weekend. Like, how did it go? What were the highlights? All that fun stuff. Um, upheaval was good. Um, on the earlier portion of this year, we kind of realized our previous main PA system for the company, which was a DB Technologies DVA T kind of a system comprised of T12s and T8s and S30N subs. Um, we kind of, we had started working with a venue club. It's going to be about like 800, 900 cap. Um, literally two blocks from my apartment in downtown Lansing, Michigan. Um, they wanted a PA. So kind of forward thinking, we knew we were going to have to have some sort of inventory that we were going to throw in there. The DVA stuff was turning around 10 years old. So it's like, okay, time to reinvest. What do we want to do? And uh, honestly, I had been, and I, you know, I can say now I've mixed on a lot of different PA systems, um, a lot on K2, a decent amount on D&B, um, Y and J, I think. Um, yeah, J is probably the most popular. Yeah. A little bit of Adam Singh, you know, kind of run the gamut. And I've been, you know, bang for buck, really impressed with the DB Technologies product. Um, and then hearing their new, the bigger uh, VO series, I was like, wow, this, this holds up. And I can get, you know, a sizable amount of PA out of my dollar that I maybe wouldn't be able to do if I went with like a more quote-unquote mainstream PA company like L Acoustics or DMB. Um, so we opted to go for, we bought, because uh, we're doing for background, you know, 1,500 to 3,000 kind of cap stuff, SO, stage line SL100, stage line SL75, kind of smaller, 24 by 20 deck size, stage sizes. Um, so we went for um, enough boxes to do six aside of the VOL1610s, which is their three-way dual 10 box. And we got six of the S218s, which are their dual 18 subwoofers. Because um, they may, and what's nice, you know, not to segue, but they make a little... They make a rain cover, all weatherproof cover that is designed for stacking them too high. And that has just made deployments super easy. You know, when we just go, okay, we're always going to stack them too high just because we deal with a lot of weather. So, you know, not necessarily how the subs cover is what I get to make my priority. It's often when it rains, how do I protect my equipment so that I can continue to use it? Um, so that's one of the reasons like we went with that PA specifically was like the weatherproofing of it. It's all true one. It's all IP 65. I'm correct. Um, and it sounds fantastic. So we got that and that acted as our main PA, um, at upheaval. Um, the tops have a lot of gas more than I thought. Um, so we still just did four tops aside at upheaval. It's totally fine. Um, had a bunch of engineers come through that, Steve and I are familiar with, if not know personally, 
or have been on this podcast, in fact, and uh, everyone seemed pretty happy with the rig. Personally, I'm going to hang it a little bit differently next year, but like the product itself, I was really happy with. Um, So that was the main PA for the lookout stage. We additionally had this year um, the loud and local stage. So in previous years, we would always have a handful of local bands play the lookout stage and open that. And I guess the powers that be decided that we're just going to make the lookout stage kind of like the B main stage, you know, still have mostly national touring acts on it. And we'll have an entire stage that's just local bands all day. That was actually at the bottom, the very bottom of the hill, um, where you basically, my front of house guy for that stage was a buddy of mine named Miles who works for a band called The Plot and You and has done front of house for a band called We Teams Romans previously and is just kind of an all-around good dude and a great, great engineer. Um, I had him down there and he, he basically got to watch every main stage band from front of house with an absolutely great view. And like, you know, the, you know, 270 hang or uh, on like stage right was basically pointed right at him. So he always just got, you know, a great experience. Um, so yeah, that weekend was filled with um, me mixing basically the first band of the day at the lookout stage. And then like taking off front of house engineer hat and immediately putting on production manager of two stages hat. And then I would hop in the golf cart and kind of run around and make sure my guys were good while also some doing some changeovers, kind of just overall just being there. Um, it was also very nice. And another shameless plug is that we have recently acquired a 2004 Prevost um, tour bus, 12 bunk. And this was the second festival I was able to use it just as a crew bus, which was so, so nice. I, I mean, I love having hotels. I think having the shower situation is great. But there's a security and like a bonding that happens when you can keep your crew all together on a bus on site, just rather than like everyone. I'm sure you've experienced this with various touring camps. The touring camps where everyone has their own hotel room, it's so much easier to self-isolate. It's so much easier for everyone to just go their own way and to not have to interact when there's kind of like a, we're, we're living in this bus together. So we're kind of all just gonna, we're gonna figure this out. And I know I've gotten a little, a lot of really good friendships out of that stuff. Um, so yeah. it's kind of, yeah, I think that covers the PA and upheaval. Yeah. I prefer being on a bus all the time with my crew and in, in camp. I've been in a couple of tours where we all get individual day or hotel rooms and separate day rooms and all that stuff. And like you said, it's just, you don't get this the sense of bonding and you don't have as many great stories that come out of that tour typically. So I'm with you. I'd, I'd rather stay on the bus. And in fact, with story of the year on days off, none of us sleep in the hotel room. Uh, you know, we get multiple hotel rooms and we share them, uh, which is mm -hmm. totally fine. Everybody's happy with it, but we just like hanging out there. So we, we go shower and whatnot in the hotel rooms and then we're back on the bus at seven o'clock at night and, there for the rest of the night no matter what time bus call is yeah i mean whenever we've had you know anytime i've had a bus call that's like you know the usual 2 a.m 3 a.m kind of bus call i'm always sleeping on the bus anyway i'm not the guy who's like i'll sleep until you know 1 30 and then move that no that's not my thing um so i'm gonna sleep on the bus no matter what so really all i need to me for me personally i just need a shower room as long as i get a shower preferably every day sometimes not every day Sometimes that's my choice. Sometimes that's not my choice. But if as long as access to a shower is happening, like that's fine by me. I'd much rather kind of just have everyone hang out on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Same. 100% the same. 
So with your bus, uh, what's what's the plan for the bus? Are you guys going to lease it out? Or are you going to keep it in-house? What are you looking at long-term with the bus? Long-term, uh, we've got two tours booked already. Um, had a lot of interest. I'm sure everyone knows it's very hard to find buses these days. Everyone seems to be going out all the time. Um, so a lot of calls, a lot of turned-down calls, um, just because me and my dad, we just didn't think it was ready. You know, we didn't want to... We've all seen too many horror stories of x y or z breaking on a bus and you get the phone you have to call the bus company owner at you know 3 a.m the band's asleep but we're stuck at a loves or you know whatever it might be we just we didn't want to put ourselves in a position where we thought that was going to happen luckily this bus had really good i keep saying had really good bones all of like you know the mechanical stuff that makes a bus drive was awesome so a lot of it has been really kind of interior you know redoing kind of reupholstery work a few odds and ends um but we just wanted to give ourselves the time to do that stuff before we tried to send it out and you know try to cash in um so we have tours booked starting in september um which is perfect we kind of we got the coach i think in like May or something like that it was something that i was kind of working on during that steel panther tour and then we've got it booked basically through right now, um, I think through March 2024, with maybe three off weeks total in all of that stretch um, between tours and just, you know, band being, you know, having an off week. And it could go, you could either come deadhead back to us or it could go get serviced somewhere locally, wherever this tour is kind of paused. Um, and then the plan, yeah, is to just kind of keep renting it out. My selfishly, my plan is to just always have it, hopefully, in the summers for crew buses and do more festivals. Um, just because that was kind of the whole thing. And after doing it with two uh, two different festivals, I was like, "This is awesome!" Because it feels like you're on tour, but then you go home, <laughs> but you get all of like the camaraderie in like two three days. Kind of like, "Oh my god, it's like a camp!" Yeah. Um, but then you get to go home, and uh, it's starting to look like you know all things going well, it'll probably turn into another bus, which maybe would turn into another bus, which kind of is how you start, I guess, a coach company. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's not a lot of buses based in Detroit, it seems, um, which I get. It's not exactly like the most routing friendly. It's not the worst, um, but it, you know, when we said like, well, we've got, you know, a bus that we can get to Grand Rapids or Detroit with within 90 minutes, um, we got a lot of phone calls actually just based off of that, which is surprising because we didn't really know if there was going to be demand or not. Um, so that's kind of to me, in my mind, that's like the hole to fill in the uh, in the market is like, oh, you know, bring bring some touring funness back to Michigan the best I can. Yeah, that's that's super cool. And I think like with your comment about the location, I don't think it matters too much. I mean, you know, the ideal location would be like Northwest Arkansas or, or Omaha, Nebraska, but I don't think there are any bus companies around there. You got bandwagon in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, and then everybody else is like Texas, Florida, Arizona, uh, Alabama. Ooh, it's you know. funny you mentioned bandwagons too, because that was, a, I know so many bands that are bandwagon bands. Um, and to me, the whole point, I one of the things I wanted to accomplish with this bus was trying to get those bands out of bandwagons, especially looking at what bandwagons cost nowadays. It's like you're not saving money on fuel because it, it takes the same amount of fuel. It gets the same gas mileage. 
you sure you're saving money on a driver, but you're sa- you, that's for a reason because they're not really mandated and really vetted in the same manner that you know an entertainment coach driver is an operator, if you will. <laughs> um, so that obviously there's some saving there, but then it's the every the logistics of acquiring the bandwagon to me. I personally have never had to do it, but it just is like, oh, so I always got to go to Indiana. Really? What if I start in Tampa? Like, <laughs> what what do I do? Um, so it's just seemed to be like, I don't know. I didn't like the whole idea. So I was basically trying to find a way to get a bus that could be cost effective for bands that were kind of trying to make that leap but didn't really know they were ready for it. And that seems to be the kind of bands, the kind of artists, like the tours we have booked right now, we know this is the first time these bands will be on a bus. And we kind of like that because then they're very appreciative of it rather than, you know, someone who's been on like a Senator's like 2024 coach or whatever. And they're just like, wow, this this other thing's a piece of crap. It's like, well, yeah, but one cost, you know, this many zeros and this one costs two more zeros. So, <laughs> you know, pick your battles. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny. Like I was just doing the math on this the other day because for I'm on break right now between two story of the year tours that are actually the same tour, but story of the year likes to take time so they can go back home and be with their families. So we had a Senator's coach for the first part of our tour and the number was, you know, pretty big. Senators, of course, being, I think, one of the premier coach companies out there today. Mm-hmm. And then for leg two, management asked me to check into a bandwagon as an option. And at the end of the day, when I got into it, the picking it up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or outside of Fort Wayne, getting it to and from our start and finish point, and like you said, the fuel mileage, and then the, just the daily cost, it, it ended up saving about four grand over the course of two weeks to go with the bandwagon over the bus. And I was like, for four grand, I'd rather sleep on a bus, have the air ride suspension, not have to worry about finding somebody to drive it. And just knowing that I've got a professional operator at the, at the wheel. Yeah. I mean that four grand over two weeks. Okay. So two grand a week more. Yeah. I, I fully feel it. Yeah. Okay. And then I don't know if my numbers guy brain, I'm like, divide that by 12 people. It's like, you're really not going to spend another, you know, hundred bucks a night or something like that and just have an infinitely better time yeah both comfort safety every literally every facet of it um i will say i i've been on bandwagon tours they have a place i like i don't mind them they ride rough that it is what it is but the storage space inside of a bandwagon is ridiculous compared to like a bus there's so much storage space it's almost like instead of junk bunks you have junk cabinets or junk drawers just because Mm, mm -hmm. there's so much of it and they also seem like i've truly i've never been on a bandwagon i've had you know the privilege i'll say to have basically only done bus tours outside of a handful van tours with local bands um and then like van dates but everyone tells me like they got showers too and that seems to be like that they're heavily used like that is a big part of the i don't know at least the guys i was talking to steve just gave me a face like i don't know about that one (laughs) <laughs> maybe the <laughs> every bandwagon i've been on we've used the shower as storage for like uh for bigger stuff you know where it becomes like the shoe bin so that's what you meant by there's a lot of storage was that there's this shower that no one touches <laughs> yeah more or less copy that oh, yeah. i do feel like i don't know i would have to suss one out there's been a few times where you know i've been on a bus 
And then we've gone to a venue that hasn't had a shower and we haven't done a day room. And I've always, you know, in those instances, I've been like, man, what those bus showers, like, what if that was an option? Um, Because it doesn't seem like they are, or at least no one's treating them like one. Yeah, I've had bus showers before, uh, buses with showers, and I, I've i never used them. We've always, again, just used it as, like, shoe storage or, or yeah. something like that. So the idea of a shower on a bus so- sounds great, but in reality, it's it doesn't get used very much, I don't think. Maybe if it was a star bus, you know, maybe if it was just uh, an entertainer and their family or something like that, I could see it getting used there. And I've seen buses that have washer and dryers on them, uh, which... That's freaking cool. Yeah, that's what you need to put on your (laughs) bus. Make some space, put in a washer dryer, and it will be rented 365 days a year. I got to see about, because it's 12 bunk, I really want to investigate condoing them. Because if I'm using it as a crew bus... I can always condo it. Like I, I never have more than eight, you know, crew guys on a show. Even if it's a two stage festival, that would still be like pushing it. I mean, depending obviously on the state size of the stages. But what I'm having to tackle right now, I usually just put two guys per stage. Um, so doing condos would be super helpful. And mine is not a slide, and I, but this is interesting. And I've had a bunch of guys on it now who have been on, you know, buses with slides. It's a very roomy front lounge. Like it's kind of, you don't miss that slide with at least how this front lounge is laid out because I don't know, some of those, some of those, you know, front lounge slide buses, when it's in, you feel more cramped. Like they're super reliant on that slide. Yeah. It's, um, I sound like such a prima donna, but having a slide is super nice. Having two slides is even nicer. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, one slide, at least the buses I've been on the, the front lounge, is infinitely larger when the slide is out, but they may not be laid out as smartly as like yours is. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if it's because the driver's like section is smaller or something, but like it just feels. I mean, I'm sure you'll be on it at some point in sub capacity, and I'll be like, see. And it was like it's just surprising. Like Reese, who's a really good friend of mine, and Steve's, and has been recently been doing uh basically all of the LDing for steel panther on a lot of these tours there's he's had to have a few subs because he also works for me and is kind of like my head lighting guy at my production company um he was like dude this is i like this a lot more and then he went to europe and he was like this thing is so much better than a european bus like you can stand and breathe in these and you can't over there yeah uh, i'll be preaching to the choir here for for people that are experienced with touring overseas but european buses are a completely different animal most of them are double deckers. The tour that I just came off of with the Treyu, we had a single decker European bus, which is really sort of rare. But even then, there was just no space up front, and they have very like it's almost like airline seating in the front. Uh, so there's mm. there's not like couches; it's all individual seats with seat belts. And I think they're a little bit more you know safety conscious when it comes to things like that over there. But then also the roads are narrower, so the buses aren't as wide as as our buses are. But mm. Yeah, definitely any any US bus will feel more spacious than a, a European bus. Also remember Reese was telling me something to the effect of like because at least in the UK, the drives are super short because it's really not that big of a country. It's just funny to hear them be like, Man, we got a long drive tonight, guys. It's like three hours. <laughs> you know, like, dude, I kill for that in the States. Like when you gotta do that like Arizona to like San Antonio hop and you're just like, well, 
guess we're just going to have a bunch of days off. <laughs> Our driver in Europe would complain if the drive was like six hours. He'd be like, oh, boys, you know, he had a really thick uh, Scottish accent. He'd be like, oh, boys, it's going to be a tough one. You know, it's six and a half hours drive. And it's like, uh, dude, try to drive from Worcester, Worcester, uh, Massachusetts to St. Louis. You know, that's Oof. that's a haul. All right. Well, enough about you. I'm going <laughs> to. That's a great segue. That was a fantastic segue. I'm going to segue over here. So whether people may know it or not, this is episode 50 of Mixed Masters podcast, and it blows my mind to think that there are 49 other episodes out there in the ether that people have actually listened to. I started this back during the pandemic in 2020. I probably need to update my intro music and whatnot, but I'm not going to because I'm lazy and busy. But uh, <laughs> I've had the the real privilege and honor to have a lot of really awesome people on this podcast. I've met a million people through this podcast, including yourself and uh, through festivals that we've done. So I'm going to change it up a little bit for this 50th podcast. A lot of people have asked me uh, about myself, and I don't normally like talking about myself. I don't like my voice. I don't think anything I've done is that interesting. But then when I talk to people casually, they're like, you totally need to do a podcast about yourself. So for this 50th episode, my guest is not Dave Peterson, but it is me, Steve Litcher. And so Dave has a bunch of questions that have been submitted to the podcast over the years. And uh, I'm going to ask that he share some of those questions. And then also, Dave, throw in anything that sparks your fancy as well. But without further ado, for part two of this podcast, the guest today is Steve Litcher. So Dave, I'm going to turn it over to you, Dave. Ah, uh, yeah, Steve sent me this email of questions that um, he's gotten over, you know, the years. And, you know, reading them, it was, you know, questions that I always had. And, like, the first two are definitely my most interesting, like, what I have the most interest in is, like, how did you land here? I've heard you talk about, like, your previous other jobs. And every time you have, I'm like, how the hell did you pivot from that to, like, standing in Europe with, like, you know, D Live Mitts Pad was stitched up heart and just like in a little tiny bar. I'm like, how did how did that happen? So like where yeah, how did you get into this? How did you learn? What did you, you know, what was that? Yeah. So I'm old. Uh, most people may not know this, but I'm I'm in my fifties officially. And I started doing sound in nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine when I was in high school. And I as a kid I was always working. Like I I was good at school, but I wasn't an academic necessarily. And I could play sports, but I wasn't good at sports. But one thing I always liked to do was was work and earn money. So like in my seventh to eighth grade years, I was mowing five lawns per week, getting $2 per lawn and thinking I was on top of the world because I was making $10 a week, you know, in my summers. And that just sort of carried over. And I eventually, through all the years of working summers and whatnot as a kid, I saved up money and I bought a CD player. And back in the 80s, CD players were still, at that time, sort of a novelty. So the first CD I ever bought was Joe Satriani's Surfing with the Alien. And I was just amazed at how it sounded. I couldn't get over the clarity and and whatnot. So I went to my band teacher, who was sort of the tech guy in our school. He had, like, one of the only few computers that the school had. And I was talking to him about, you know, how does a CD sound so good compared to, like, a record or a cassette or an 8-track? And yeah, we had eight tracks back then. And uh, 
he explained to me that, you know, there was advances in technology and they were recording things digitally and they were doing multi-track recording at much higher counts. And all of this just sounded like Greek to me. So long story long, he applied for a grant and ended up buying a soundboard for our high school. And it was a, it was a powered PV 16 channel amplifier with wood grain sides. It weighed a million pounds. It had, you know, like three EQ channels, one auxiliary send. It was really as bare bones basic as you could get it. And he tasked me with learning how to start doing sound with the condition that once I figured it out, I had to do sound for the jazz band and the choir and school plays and things like that. So I spent the rest of my house high school years working on this PV mixer with a couple of, I don't even know what kind of microphones they were, probably like EV or, or really low-level Shures. I know they weren't 58s or 57s. And these really old Shure column speakers that we had, it had like, you know, 10, 8-inch speakers in it. They sounded terrible. And so I, I had to make the most of that little PA and try to get, you know, kids that are mumbling in a school play amplified to a point where the parents in the back row could hear them and they weren't tapping me on the shoulder saying, well, I can't hear my son or daughter, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so really didn't have the luxury of a lot of tools. And so I, I learned sound sort of by myself with input from my band teacher in high school. And then when I got out of high school, I went to college in northern Wisconsin. And the very first person that called me in my dorm room was a friend who I'd gone to high school with. He was quite a bit older than I was. And he called me saying that he had a band and they were pretty popular and he heard that I knew how to do sound. And he wondered if I could do sound for his band that weekend. Uh, I'm 18 years old. I'm in a dorm room. I'm living by myself for the first time. And now I'm being asked to go do sound in a bar for this band. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And I went there and his band had an Allen and Heath 24 channel analog mixer. They had one EQ for it. They would rent a reverb unit uh, if money allowed on the weekends. And they had, you know, like 10 Sure SM57s and, and that was it. And so I, now I'm doing sound in bars and I'm thinking, man, this is like the greatest. It's never going to get any better than this. <laughs> And from there, I just uh, kept doing more and more local bands and things like that. Uh, When I moved back to Madison, which is where I'm from, Madison, Wisconsin, I worked with a couple of bar bands in the 90s that were pretty popular. But I never made a career of it. Um, During that time, when I was doing sound for these bar bands in Madison, I was a mechanic at a Ford dealership. I was working as a technician. I dropped out of college to go be a mechanic full-time. I'd always been mechanical in nature, so... I was working as a ASE certified master gold technician for, for Ford. And I did that until, oh, galley, like 96, 97, I want to say. And then I got tired of being under cars, especially in the winter where snow and water and everything runs down your back. And it's a pretty miserable time being a mechanic in a, in a northern territory like Wisconsin or Michigan or wherever. Mm-hmm. So from there, I got a job as a apprentice electrician at a manufacturing company. And so I had some knowledge of uh, electrical basics because one of my specialties when I was a mechanic was electrical systems, computer uh, drivability issues and things. And so a buddy of mine got me hired at a, a manufacturing place where I learned the ins and outs of commercial electricity and 
So I did everything there from wiring panels to troubleshooting to quality control to blah, 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 blah. And my boss there told me that I was too smart to be an electrician. I shouldn't be standing on ladders and, and working inside of cabinets and whatnot. So he hooked me up with a job at the state of Wisconsin where I went to go be a computer programmer slash project manager. And you're saying, well, how did you figure out computer programming? Uh, I went to school for computer science. And back then we were doing like COBOL, Fortran, uh, a little bit of basic, a little bit of assembler. But computers were always a hobby in addition to sound. So I had kept myself current. I knew some SQL. I knew some basic and C++ and all that fun stuff. So I got hired by the state, uh, created this website to track juvenile detention records. Now this is in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. So to have a website at that time that could process data from multiple counties in the state, that was pretty unheard of. And I ended up creating this website along with some consultants. I sort of oversaw the project, worked on it with them. And through that effort, I got hired by a company from Australia called Identikey, and they had the very first form of multi-factor authentication. So if you think about multi-factor authentication, it's pretty prevalent today. It's essentially when you go to sign on to a new website for the first time and they text you a code, that's multi-factor authentication because to sign on to the website, you have to have your username and password. That's one form of authentication. And then they text you a code to your phone that only you should have. And then that's the second factor. So that makes it multi-factor authentication. So I went to go work. Well, I actually went to go live in Australia for a bit. I got to live in Brisbane, Brizzy, uh, lived there in the early 2000s, learned the ins and outs of this software that they had. And then that company moved me to Northwest Arkansas, where their first customer was a bank in Northwest Arkansas. So I worked for that company for six, seven months. I'd just gotten married at the time. I moved my wife down from Wisconsin. She was from Wisconsin. We'd met before I went to Australia. So she moved to Arkansas with me. And then shortly after we built a house and got settled in, the Australian company got purchased by a company from Belgium. And the Belgian company said, hey, Steve, uh, you can either keep working with us, but you have to move to Europe or you can go find a new job. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm in a brand new house in an area that I don't really know that well. My wife had just found a job in an animal shelter. She really loved it. And I was like, ah, I can't move. I can't do it. So I ended up quitting and uh, didn't do anything for like six months. So I was bored. So I started a website where I tested automotive car wax. <laughs> Dan. Anytime you hear me laugh, it's not because I think any of this is like funny. It's that I feel like, like, wow, what a jump. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's amazing. Automotive car wax. What'd you say? Juvenile records. Like, yeah, you're, you're, you're generating some really good indie band names with like your previous careers. Yeah. Uh, tangent. So in the nineties, when I was working for the state, I got my nickname Geeky Steve. That's how I'm known sort of online. Like my Instagram is the Geeky Steve, blah, 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 blah. I actually got that nickname from the FBI <laughs> because when I was working for the state of Wisconsin, uh, one of the things that we had to do in our office was report crime data to the FBI. So when you see crime statistics on the news, the FBI compiles all of that. It's part of a national reporting system out there and it's called NC, NCSIS or something like that. 
Um, but I, I can't remember the acronym, but we had seven Steves that worked in my office at the time. So whenever there was a problem with the data, we, we were submitting it on reel-to-reel tape back in the 90s still. We had a VAX computer, which was like a mini mainframe, and it wrote to tape. And we'd send in these tapes, and a lot of times there would be an issue. So the FBI would call and ask for Computer Steve, and then that turned into Steve the Geeky Guy, blah, 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 and then it just turned into Geeky Steve. So that nickname came from the FBI in the 90s. But, yeah, I was always into detailing cars and keeping my car clean, and I'd always wondered what the best car wax out there was because I would try, you know, new finish or something like that, and it claimed to last a year, and it never seemed to last a year. And then I'd try Zymol, which was like $300 for a tin of it. And I was like, eh, I don't think this is 60 times better than the $5 tin that's out there. So I went to a junkyard when I was unemployed after this Belgian company uh, told me I could move to Europe or, or stay home. I went to a junkyard. I bought a number of car hoods that were exactly the same. They were all uh, Chevrolet Lumina hoods from the 90s. And they were all the same color, all about the same mileage. And I created test panels out of these out of these car hoods, and I bought 60 different car waxes. I, I tried to find every single car wax I could find in the world, and I bought them, and I applied them all the same. I prepped the panels exactly the same, put all the wax on exactly the same. Then I developed a number of tools and, and methodologies to sort of measure the, the glossiness, the, the durability, the depth, all these things, water beating capabilities of these waxes. And I left them in my front yard in Arkansas for six weeks. And I just watched them over the six weeks, took regular measurements, started a website where it was called the wax test.com. Uh, it somehow got super popular, like it had over a million views in one week. And it turned out that some car website with user forums, somebody found it, posted a link and everybody on this forum told everybody else, and they all went to this website. My web host was calling me because it was like some single dude in Portland, Oregon, you know, running a server closet out of his basement. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, you're you're blowing up my closet here. <laughs> so I took the website offline, and then I got an offer uh, from that car website that, where the link had been shared to buy my website from me and turn it into a magazine. Man, I'm really rambling. I'm sorry about this, everybody. There's a lot here, dude. Um, my only quick quick question is: throughout all of this, did you still dabble in sound things? Was that still always prevalent, just kind of as a hobby, or just whenever people would ask you because they knew something you did? Yeah, totally. It would be like, hey, my buddy's got a band. Uh, do you still do sound? And you know, can you do this gig on Friday for beer money? And I didn't drink at the time, so I took the twenty bucks or whatever it was and and did sound. Gotcha. Yeah. So I had this car website. I took it down. I sold the the website to this, my website to this other automotive website. And we turned this into a, a publication. We published, I don't know, 20 some thousand copies of a magazine that we called Guru Reports. Horrible name, but we were trying to be like <laughs> consumer reports, but not, mm-hmm. not get in trouble by, you know, using any sort of version of their name. And that led to another magazine being created where I got to hang out with celebrities and test drive exotic cars and go to car shows. Every year we'd go to the Detroit Auto Show, we'd go to Chicago, we'd go to Los Angeles, New York, uh, go overseas and do all sorts of crazy things. I got to drive, I don't even know all the different types of cars, but that was pretty fun. Got to hang out with Jay Leno for a weekend, Alton Brown, the chef from uh, Food Network. 
And I got tired of traveling all the time. It was sort of putting a strain on my relationship with my wife at at the time. And so I ended up taking a job in Arkansas as a project manager. And I did project management there until the bank got shut down by the FDIC. So during the, the recession slash financial collapse of 2008, 2009, the bank that I worked for was one of the first banks to get closed by the FDIC. So I was sitting in my boss's office on a Friday afternoon. We just finished lunch. We're talking about a data center that we're building out in Wichita, Kansas. And we were at the headquarters in like this field in Arkansas. And my boss looks out and he goes, oh, this can't be good. And we look down the road and there's 30 black Suburbans coming down the road with the state patrol in front of them and behind them. And we had no idea what was going on. We're just like normal, you know, Schmo was working at the bank headquarters. We didn't have any idea the bank was insolvent. So on that Friday, it was Friday, May 9th, 2008, uh, our bank got closed down. FDIC took over, came in and said, uh, as of today, none of you work for this bank. You all work for the FDIC. And by the end of the month, 95% 95% of you will be released to go find other em- employment opportunities. We'll keep a portion of you on to help us close the bank and sell off the assets. I got selected to stay on and help close the bank. It was absolutely miserable, like the probably the worst six, seven months of my life. But at the end of it, I got a severance package, and I took that severance package, and I went to Mexico for a month, stayed in Mexico, <laughs> had an all-inclusive like, reason. I earned this shit. <laughs> I was drinking at that point in my life, so I decided I'm going to... Uh, Margaritas, yeah. Yep, went to lots of little awesome tequilerias and whatnot and, and had a blast. <laughs> um, and so, oh, I I neglected to mention, during, during my stay at the bank, I ended up getting divorced. Um, my ex-wife and I are still really good friends today. Um, she's a great person and we stay in contact, but, um, I was divorced. So I was able to go to Mexico for a month and not have any responsibilities. Then I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to go into project management. I'm going to go work for a triathlon company. At the time I was doing triathlons. (laughs) Hard to believe if you see me today. (laughs) It's the Crocs. It's the Crocs. It's the Crocs. (laughs) Crocs you ever and, met Steve and he shows up in Crocs? He's just pure comfy, Steve. It's it's so good to be around. But was, yeah, it's hard to see the triathlon. I was never a Crocs guy until Alex Mungle uh, and Justin Keir. So I blame those two guys for getting me into Crocs, and and now I really like them. Well, but uh, yeah, so I ended up. I was doing triathlons at the time. Um, I had lost a lot of weight, like in the in the two thousands. I was over well over three hundred pounds. I was like three fifty ish. And I decided I was going to start running, and then running turned into running and biking, and then it turned into running, biking, and swimming. So did a number of triathlons around the country and whatnot, and so I was really into physical fitness. I was, I don't know, like 160 pounds or something like that. I lost almost 200 pounds doing training. And so I moved to Austin to go work for this company called Trigger Point Therapy, and they did a lot of... uh, rehabilitative, uh, they had tools, massage tools for rehabilitating, uh, repetitive sports injuries. So I went to go work for them. And when I was going to work for them, they had just started outsourcing all their production to China from being us made. And that proved to be a real challenge because it was a really small company, like five, six people. And I was in charge of the operations in China, plus all the operations in the U S and China is 12 and a half, to 14 hours ahead, depending on what part of China we're talking about. 
So I was literally working 20 hour days and I wasn't doing any sound and I wasn't doing any training or anything that I really like to do. So I quit that job pretty quickly. It was pretty miserable. Yeah. And I moved back to Wisconsin where I took a job as a project manager for a telecommunications company. And I did that for 11 years. That that would take me up to 2020, 2019. But during that time at the as a project manager for this telecommunications company, I started a formal production company in Madison. I called it 608 Sound and Light. And I had a pretty good size inventory, but I was just working with like bar bands and local festivals and and regional gigs and stuff like that. So nothing big. Uh, I never really partnered with anybody in the area because I bought stuff that I liked, not stuff that rented well. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't really appreciate the importance of being able to cross rent and, you know, collaborate with other companies. So I had a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed, but wasn't very marketable outside of my little company. So did that for five-ish years or so. Um, was really busy. I, I worked every single weekend, uh, especially in the last couple of years of that of its existence. And then I got tired, and I was like, you know what? I'm out. I'm I'm done. I'm tired of fighting, you know, tooth and nail to make three hundred bucks uh, providing sound and lights for a bar band, and not having any weekends free. So I sold off almost all my equipment and just went and focused on my job as a project manager. And then one night I was at work, I was migrating a data center in Arizona. We were, we were taking one data center from Phoenix and we were moving it to uh, Gilbert, uh, Arizona. And I got a phone call at like 3.30 in the morning on a weekend. It was a Sunday because as you can imagine, if you're a data center customer, you're not really wanting to move your website and all of your assets at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday. You want to do it overnight on a weekend. Yeah, for sure. So most of that work was on weekend nights. And so my buddy called me and he was in a panic because he had an X32 rack and an in-ear system and he was having trouble getting mixes working. And I ended up helping him out over the phone and um, got everything up and running. And he was like, I can't tell you what this is for, but um, we really appreciate your help and we're going to be on tour and we'll call you when we're on tour. So I got a call a couple of days later. They were going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Fiserv Forum. And the Fiserv Forum, for those not familiar, is where the Milwaukee Bucks plays, seats like 18,000 people. So I was like, holy cats, this is not a small band that had a problem here. And it turns out the band was stitched apart, and they were, they were opening for Volbeat and Godsmack. So um, there were three bands on that show, God, uh, Stitched Apart, and then Volbeat, and then Godsmack. So they invited me to the show. We went and sat at front of house. And at that time, at that show, they didn't have a front of house engineer. They had a system engineer who came out, unmuted the board. The band played their songs. <laughs> he, he muted the board, and that was it. And that, that, was, that was the front of house tech that was like, you are not, I am not being paid to mix, so I will not mix. That was that guy. <laughs> oh, yep. Wow. So the band invited me backstage, and my girlfriend and I and her parents, we went backstage and met the band. They were super nice people, talking about Stitched Apart, of course. And Mixie asked me, she's like, what would you think of the show? And I was like, do you want the truth, or should I be nice? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, well, be truthful. And I said, you guys need a sound guy. And she was like, well, our label never told us we needed a sound guy. Why do we need a sound guy? And I was like, well, because your your balance was all off and his stuff was changing, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
So long story, even longer, uh, they decided to try me out as a sound guy for them. And I mixed a couple of shows of them over the next couple of months. And we really gelled. We got along great. And then Stitch Up Heart got hired or signed on to open for Steel Panther on a, a run in the fall of that year. That was 2019. And I took the position. They offered me the opportunity to mix front of house for Stitch Up Heart on this Steel Panther tour. And I originally had a leave of absence from my job. I talked to my boss. I'd been there 11 years. Talked to my boss, talked to all of our HR department. This this company's Fortune 500 company, like 20,000 employees, so it's not a small business. Mm-hmm. Got everything all cleared, was all set to go live on an RV with Stitched Up Heart, and the day before I was supposed to go on tour, the company rescinded my leave of absence. So they said, you can either go on tour or you can you know keep your job. And at that point, I was like, I got to go on tour. (laughs) (laughs) So so I essentially quit my job and left. And I think I was making like 75 bucks a week with Stitched Up Heart on my first gig. Yeah. Yeah. That was your first that was your first proper tour. Yeah. That gotcha. Yeah. Living on an RV, uh, thinking I'd made it, you know, like that was that was as good as it was ever going to get. I'm curious who called. So who called you about this X32 rack thing that happened to be a part of state? I'm curious, like how that connection was made. Yeah. So it was one of my really good friends it is one of my really good friends, Jeremy Coneman. And Jeremy is an amazing guitar player. Like I, I know a lot of really good guitar players, but Jeremy's, you know, right up there mm-hmm. with the, the best of them. And he'd been hired by stitched up hard to play guitars because when they tour, they typically would have two guitarists, but then eventually they went just to having one guitarist. Because uh, gotcha. yeah, Jeremy wasn't able to do tours with them after the Steel Panther tour, so Merritt recorded you know some backing guitar tracks, and so they use that as part of their playback when when they're on tour and just That's as a really fortress. interesting. I mean, obviously, all of that was very interesting because like there's so much life that was lived before you know the steve that i've come to know and love and that many of us have come to know just it's it's very interesting to hear because you know so many people have the i started doing sound when i was 18 and then i did it and here i am like (laughs) kind of that linear thing but you've bounced around and got a lot of different experiences and a lot of different work environments so that's super interesting to hear i'm super jealous of guys like you, you know, that started early in life and got to tour and are still actively doing it. Like, I think my one big regret was not figuring out how to tour earlier in my life. Uh, I just had assumed that the venue had the sound guy and when Metallica rolled in, you know, they just used Dave at uh, Bell's Brewery or whatever. And Yeah, no, exactly. There was just house guys. Yeah. That's why it was interesting for me growing up. Like my perspective was, you know, my dad and stepdad were both touring engineers or tour managers, production managers. So like I just always from birth knew like, yeah, when people do rock shows, sometimes people got to fly to them. And that's where dad goes. And like it's just been I've just known that since like forever. So it's super interesting to hear that. Yeah. And like I said, it's it's more interesting for me to hear the other side because I just can't even imagine that type of a life. Like what I did seemed normal and I did it out of, you know, survival and necessity and happened to land in this position where I'm at today, which I'm extremely grateful for. And I never I literally pinch myself every single day getting to do what I get to do and, and hang out with guys like you. 
All right. Next question that I have, because this is spawned out of your web, your webcam. Do you, A, do you play guitar? And B, what is the guitar hanging up on the wall behind you? Uh, I wouldn't claim to play guitar well. I can plink around on it. Uh, I know you're a stellar guitar player, and I would never dream of picking up a guitar in front of you. Oh, jeez. But that guitar back there is a ESP, uh, I think it's an E2 guitar. Okay. I traded it with a friend of mine. Uh, he needed a computer, and I wanted a different guitar, and so we did a trade. So. Trying to look through this list of questions, like there's so much history, I almost feel the need to like ask some more questions that are like more in the now to like balance it out. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, you know, I'm gonna ask a question, and we shouldn't beat this topic to death because we've talked about it so much. But like, what's your deal with D Live? Like, why? Why is that your thing? Um, what do you think about SQ and the other Alan and Heath? And I like at the end of this question is like, do you like Midas? Like, do you? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that one came in from somebody. And I believe that they were from a different country, uh, which gotcha. it just humbles me again that people listen in different parts of the world. But uh, so Alan and Heath, I I was on the M32 when I had my production company. I, I mixed pretty exclusively on M32 or X32 rack with an iPad. Not a lot of room in little Wisconsin bars for a full-size M32 console, so I did a lot of stuff via iPad. And I wanted something that I could mix via an iPad or a, a tablet, And but I wanted to have more capability than what the X32 rack or M32 offered. And so a good friend of mine, Sean McLaughlin, actually two good friends of mine, I got, I'll got. i give both of these guys shout-outs. So um, Caleb Hopwood, and that's uh, C, Caleb, C-A-L-E-B. Uh, he works at Full Compass, which is in my backyard here. I talked to him about trying to upgrade my mixing platform, and he said, you know, you should check out the DLive platform, blah, 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 blah. So he introduced me to Sean McLaughlin, who is a rep for Allen & Heath and Sure and a bunch of other companies. Uh, I think D&B Technologies he reps also. Yeah. Um, so between the two of them, they got me a DLive to try out, and I was like, this thing is pretty wicked. And that was like in 2017 when I had my production company active. So I ended up buying a DM32 with a C3500, and no, I started on a 2500, then went to 3500, and then got a 1500 in addition to that. So I just sort of latched onto it through a demo, and I've fallen in love with it. I, I know it inside and out. You know, I think between you and I, we get a lot of calls from people that are trying to sort something out. Constantly. When my there there are people that when my phone rings I'm like this is probably a D live thing isn't it and yeah. there's also for I mean there's people I have my Digico guys that I'm like when I have a Digico problem I have to call them when my S six everyone it's just like flavors and like you just find the guy who knows that flavor the best yeah yep and I'm the same way like a couple of people will call me and I'm like oh D live time and uh, <laughs> it's usually D live time but we do chat about other things so I I love the D live. Um, I hope that they aren't anywhere near reaching its full potential. I can't wait to see what comes out in firmware, two dot whatever. I think it's going to be insane. But yeah, DLive is fantastic. I think it sounds great. I love the flexibility of it. I wish it did a couple of things differently. Um, you know, I wish I could do group to group. I wish I could use the Surface without having to be connected to a mix rack. I wish I had a couple of more matrices available to me or or mix engines from time to time. But 
I mean, all things considered, especially for the price point, I don't think it's any secret out there that, you know, if you got a 1500 with a, a CDM 32, you're, you're well under 25. You're, you're probably at mm-hmm. 20 to 22. Yeah, somewhere in like, that range and that's like with cases and like i am ready to go to war kind of yeah um, yeah which is still a third of like a sort of comparable s6l yeah yep so i think it hits way above its its weight class for what it costs and what it can do um i think it didn't have that that reception early on but i think they they've gotten it to a point where it sounds good it works well it's i'm knocking on wood it's uber reliable. I've never had an issue with my D Live ever, and it's been likewise. In, also, knocking on wood. Yeah, mine's been in twenty uh, some countries this year, and it just starts up every single time. I don't worry about it. So yeah, uh, SQ Avantis. I like those a lot. Uh, I don't have as much experience with them. I will say the tour I'm out on right now uh, with Mayday Parade. They use an SQ five, and Holland's mix sounds insane. It's so good. He's using some waves, but not relying on it by any means. So it's, um, you know, and SQ is even cheap. You can get an SQ5 retail for like 3500 bucks. Oh, yeah. I just, got, I just got an SQ5. And the reason I got one was because I had enough desks out at different shows that I needed one. I just needed another desk. And I got one as a demo and just basically decided to keep it because um, I have some DX168s for stage boxes. And I had a case that would kind of fit the SQ5 already. I was like, dude, I've got castanets. I have a stage box. I have a case. I just need the desk. So I might as well try it. And I was super impressed. I mean, like, my brain approaches mixing on them like I would do a mince on an M32. But my results that I get out of it sound way better. Um, so I, yeah, I'm all for them, honestly, because, and especially with that price point you mentioned, like it's I, basically anyone's like, who's been like, man, I'm looking to, I think I kind of want to buy an M32. I'm like, no, you don't <laughs> for many reasons. <laughs> M32 is 10 years old. I mean, it, I think, M32s, you can't get parts, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well then, yeah, I guess that <laughs> that's my big thing. That's a whole other thing. Well, and that segues nicely into, you know, do I like Midas uh, question, the, the last part of that one. And I I don't dislike Midas. I don't like the Pro Series workflow. It's just never really gelled with me. I, I would feel uncomfortable if I had to do a throw and go on it and, you know, start from scratch. But, you know, you can't argue them, 32X, 32. They're, they're everywhere. But like you said, the bad thing is you can't get parts and you can't get service, not easily mm-hmm. at least. I've been waiting on a headphone jack for the Machine Chops XM32. Uh, and all of the vendors, and uh, well, it's, which is really Sweetwater these days, but mm-hmm. they they aren't sure if they can get a headphone jack for it. I've been waiting on it for two months. And I just had a, I just had a power supply in my DL32 just pop out of nowhere. And now it's just sitting there. Can't be used. I'm I'm starting to get to the point where like, all right, time to start like looking at all the parts on this thing and see if I can like fab together some sort of thing to turn this thing on to make it usable again. But the fact that everyone that you call to try to find parts for any sort of MX thirty two system is they don't they don't have it. Um and that's to me the biggest turn off of it right now. I love also Pro Series still. 
the routing is kind of weird. I had to do a lot of it in college, so I'm very used to it. Like I had this, there's this whole like CL5. We're pulling like off the Rios to the Pro 2 in a studio, and that's going to a Logic computer. So I got very good with the patching, even though it's kind of like archaic and annoying. Um, I actually had to make like YouTube tutorial videos on them, um, just because other students got confused. But huh. to me, yeah, the Pro series is like once it's there, we're good. <laughs> but it takes a lot to get there. When I've started now with DLive, I'm super, super comfortable with like building a show file in my apartment, putting it in the surface to make sure it just gets to the surface. I go, cool, that's right. And I can just walk away and I know I'm good just because it's super easy to like get your head around in my opinion. 100% the same. I, I, you can't, uh, uh, I don't want to sound pompous, but (laughs) there isn't a show that I don't think I could do on the DLive you know, in the spur of a moment, mm. I just did a, uh, yeah. well, I didn't get to do it. It got rained out, but I got hired to do monitors for a symphony orchestra, 122 inputs. And I started with nothing on the D live. And within a couple of hours, we had all the monitor mixes, everything all set to go. And everybody in the orchestra was, you know, thumbs upping it. So, uh, I would not try that on the pro series. If, if <laughs> oh, no. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think there are shows that I have in mind that I think uh, would benefit more from having a different platform, but that's not due to the fact that DLive isn't capable of it. It's just kind of knowing it's almost like a cultural thing. I've noticed certain genres, it's very much like we have to have the biggest desk at front of house thing, even though you don't need all that stuff. So like that's where I'm like, "Eh, no, you kind of with that artist, it's got to be a 338. Don't ask me why, but it's going to have to be. But if I got to choose, I would just take my 1500 to literally everything and mix everything on it and like just get, you know, more faders or expanders if I really need that space. But not really. I've come to love the 1500. Like even when I do monitors for like a band that has a lot of inputs, I they're like, hey, we can get you a 5000 or 7000 or whatever. And I'm like, eh, I'm good with my 1500. Yeah, I did a I did a one off on a 5000 like a month ago. And I was like. I don't know where to put everything. Like, I'm just so used to, like, I have the 12 faders and thus, like, I have these banks and, like, you have, like, your template. And when you have the 5,000, like, cool. Like, yes, I can have all of my inputs on my left. I can just scroll through all of them. That's great. But, like, I'm still just sitting at my, like, groups slash DCAs slash, you know, whatever you, you know, decide you want to control with. But, like, usually all of us kind of reduce it down to something that is about the size of a 1500 realistically but i can flip the 1500 by myself (laughs) and i can put it on a plane and i can boot up in my hotel room and like do tracks and put it in my ears the night before or the morning of like it's all all of those things to me are like why it's so badass okay we gotta stop talking about d live because like it's we're it's too easy and yeah (laughs) Everyone already knows they're just everyone's going to be like probably like fast forwarding through that whole section. Like, yeah, we get it. You guys like this Alan and Heath thing. Um, What's another one of these good questions? I I actually think this is a good question because it's a question that like I've started to actually kind of start to ask myself, which is what do you like better to be a tour manager or to be the tech doing sound? And like, what are the pros and cons that you weigh in that? Oh, I forgot that that question was on there. Uh oh. I sort of I sort of remembered that the D Live one was on. Can we just talk about the D Live some more? 
Oh man, that is a great question. I'm not really prepared to answer that one. I feel, I mean, I'll answer it with you to me. And, you know, I think you have more TM and experience than me. So obviously if I'm full of shit, just tell me, um, I mean, you, on a simpler level, you're doing less day of show. I feel, or less during the show, I should say, like you don't have, you know, you don't have that like 90, you know, 60 to 90, well, maybe 30 minutes of like, it is go time. Some tour managers, that's the easiest part of your day. Artists on stage, sweet, we made it. You know, we got the wire. We just got to count merch and get out. Um, but, like, it, to me, it's, like, just kind of how you, like, distribute your work. Because as a TM, you're kind of more on all day. When I feel like if, as a front of house engineer, it's very easy to be, like, I did sound check. Cool. I'll see you guys later. I'm going to go get coffee. I'm gonna go. There's more downtime. It's just, the, the, you know, the amplitude of work is different. Um, and I think that just depends on what kind of a person you are. I know I get bored really easily, so I almost like managerial roles just because it keeps me kind of sharp. Like the days where I'll have longer days and feel, I don't know, less exhausted than a day that I did, you know, a sound check. And then when I sat on the bus for like five hours and then I did a show and then I did the loadout and then I sat and then I went to bed. Like the lotharsicism is so real to me, especially like when you got like a show file that's like super, super dialed and like you're just like, this is easy. I just show up and I turn it on, <laughs> which is not always. Sometimes you're really doing work. Um, not every tour gets to be like that, unfortunately. So I feel like that's like to me the biggest, like better or worse. Um, obviously, you get to be way less creative if you're being a, uh, a TM. You don't really. No one really wants you to be creative with your like routing. They just want to get to the next show. Um, when as a sound guy, you can, you know, well, I'm gonna throw up a trash mic and like send that to a group and like you can do all these things and that no one maybe understands, but like at least you get to like flex that muscle when as a TM, like you just gotta make sure you got like, you know, twelve black towels and like twelve bottles of water. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I had a chance to formulate a, a bit of an answer, but it's a it's a mm -hmm. cop out answer. I like both. I like them both mm. equally. Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, having been a project manager for a large portion of my life, the the planning and routing and all that side of tour management comes pretty easily to me. And I really do. I like routing the tour and figuring out you know where we're going to stop. I don't like calling hotels to see if they can park if we can park a tour bus because most of them don't understand what you mean when you say a tour bus. And then when you arrive, it can be a little <laughs> dicey from time to time. Yeah. But I feel like there's a creative side to being a tour manager also, because, you know, uh, this last tour I was just on with story of the year, we had a mandate, no malls, no, no malls. Mm. And so trying to find places for us to stop and spend a day off. We had a lot of days off on that last tour also uh, that didn't involve shopping malls was really a fun challenge and you know we brought a, a Traeger grill with us and we grilled out a lot and you know just did a lot of like really fun like family type stuff and it was pretty rewarding it, it's always great when the band says man you made this so easy like thank you so much and they don't realize you know it's like a duck going across the water like the top of the duck that you see above the surface <laughs> is just gliding Mm -hmm. But underneath the feet are just going crazy. And that's sort of what I feel yeah. like being a TM is, you know, so, but, and then I think also being a TM, if I'm in a, in a crummy room with a less than optimal PA, 
And I just know I'm going to be miserable at front of house because it's going to sound terrible to me. That's the day that I'd rather be the TM. But <laughs> when I'm at, you know, not fest in Australia with 40,000 people and a monster GSL KSL rig and it's perfect, then obviously I'd rather be the, the front of house guy. So I think both. I mean, and it's interesting because I've I've talked to a few people about this. Um, that's like such obviously such a famous double hat. The front of house TM double hat is pretty common. I've boiled it down to just like, well, you know, front of house guy, kind of like I said, he's only got to work as a front of house engineer like three hours a day. You know, let's say between sound checks and actual show time, and the rest of that time he's doing something else, or could be TMing. So it's kind of an easy flip-flop it's one i've also explained to people the the monitors pm is also the other what i find common hat because it's like you're on stage all the time you might as well just handle everything on stage and most most monitor guys end up being the pm without realizing they're being the pm until they realize they're like oh this is a i'm the production manager as well um, which is a, a situation i find myself in pretty regularly so so it makes a lot of sense that you would say yes to both well, I, I do wear the double hat with a lot of bands I work with. And then like with the Treyu, man, Justin, uh, Justin Keir, who's the TM, drum tech, playback tech, um, you know, jack of all trades. Evan Potter, who's guitar tech and just does everything else as well. And myself, I do monitors, RF, stage management, production management, front of house. So we're wearing a lot of hats in that crew. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, I love it. I love the Atreyu guys. I'm super sad I'm not able to be on tour with them on this next upcoming run. I've I've hit you up multiple multiple times to do that run, <laughs> and you keep saying no because you're you're Everyone's too busy. Busy. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. But, I also am bummed I'm not doing it for the year. Yeah. So I, I feel like even when I'm just doing front of house, which is like for story of the year or uh, for um, Atreyu, I'm not just doing front of house. So I don't I don't I don't suffer the same. Uh, you know, trying to fill up time in the day that other people might run into. So I, I, I'm like you. I like to be busy. I like to be moving and doing things. So what's what's a dream artist? Who you who are you trying to get to? Like to mix? Who are you trying to like? That's your like goal. I would like to mix X, if if that's even possible. Did somebody send in that question, or are you asking? Yeah, they did. Who would you like to mix if you had any choice? Who are you trying to get to, Ski? <laughs> Assume nothing. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Good Lord. If it's still a band. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, for the <laughs> Everyone's like, whoa. No. no, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm so busy. And then Derek, who's also, for the record, um, anyone who doesn't know, I'm in a band called Assume Nothing. Steve has actually come out to mix us once. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was, it was such a weird, I mean, we definitely rolled up with, like, all the stuff that you could do. Like, we could have easily been, like, the, you know, the, first support slot on arena run with like the equipment and the, honestly the skill set we had with people and we were at like a bowling alley in like michigan in january and there was like 75 people so yes you could say it was a little bit overkill um but yeah he has mixed my band and i'm failing to know where i where i was trying to go with that oh um and our other guitar player um the other member of the band um derek he's in a band that i used to work for um called uh, a virtue and they've been touring as well all of that to say is that when the two key members of your band are like constantly working on the road and with other bands, it, you know, your own project starts to kind of dwindle away. But come on, there's got to be someone. I mean, 
I don't, you know who I, I've wanted to make, and I would never be able to do it. I just would like to do it one time. I think it'd be fun. It would be to make Steel Panther. Oh yeah. But I kind of, I kind of want to just use Nate's show file, honestly, because it sounds so good. But I just want to like experience what it could be to be Nick Rucker, because he has that so dialed in, and like as an audience member, that band is just hilarious. I would have to use a Digico, and I, uh, dirty little secret, I've never mixed on a Digico in public, so <laughs> I would, uh, I would be crapping myself if i had to mix steel panther but it would be super fun oh, i don't know man no he's been uh he's been using a console we know and love so i don't think you would have to be on the old sd11 oh. all right well now yeah. now i'm now I'm, nick call me i'm interested <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those people that i would get you know dlive questions from because like i mean it's so flexible as we know that like there's a million different io configurations so depending on what company you rent it from and how they prep it it doesn't always show up as the 32 input 16 out that you would like it to be so i've had a few calls with nick about that oh cool uh but yeah he's loved he's loved it actually he's been super happy with uh with it he has to do a fun like kind of pink noise trick which involves an xlr cable coming out of an output and going directly back into an input as something that you didn't have to do on a digico um but he made it work and like he's just been killing it and he i've his mix is sounded super good so that that's one of mine that i would Put, put yourself in my shoes, your very first time touring ever, and you're going on stage right before Nick, and you're on an M32. <laughs> it's I'd like, be like, wow. Yeah. I'm going to get fired. Uh, I pretty much put a gun in my mouth every single day. I, I was yeah. Like, <laughs> I would, if I was the band, I'd be like, can we just give Nick, you know, like 150, 200 bucks, and just whatever you think is the laziest version of punt, just do that, and we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but man, to answer your question, who would I want to mix? I honestly, I, w- I would love to get into, I'm not a country music guy, but I feel like country musicians have the greatest players and their tours mm. are always like over the top. I, I think any any household name country artist I would love to mix, uh, same for like pop with the exception of Billie Eilish because a <laughs> it's Drew. it's drew's gig and b uh i i know the the magic that drew works on that vocal chain to make it work and mm-hmm. i i could not do that but i don't know i just whatever whatever artist is actively and nearly constantly touring that is a good vibe and a good hang i'm i'm all about the the dynamics of mm-hmm. the tour and like I've been on tours where there's one or two really, really horrible people and it just ruins the entire tour for everybody. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I, I strive to never be on those types of tours and yeah. So that's, that's my generic answer. Any, any sort of household name that's a good vibe, I can adapt to the music and I would, I would have a good time. Yeah. That's, I feel like that. That's, I mean, I would love to do some sort of big, big name. I mean, know if i would want to mix metallic or something like that foo fighters would maybe be one that i'd be like that would be a lot of fun but kind of in the same vein as you like i can find anything in any music something good i've done you know a country band i've done like genty super i'm about to go work for the heaviest band i've ever worked for in my entire life i'm super excited about it um i've worked for rap artists i've worked for i've done jazz shows like i've kind of ran the gamut and almost anywhere i've found something i really enjoyed yeah i can i can find i mean just being able to be on the road and and touring and doing sound it's going to be a good day so really anybody anytime as long as they can keep me busy and and employed steadily throughout the year 
I would that would be my dream. Yeah, I honestly to work for one band. <laughs> that would be kind of fun, I think, to be one just because wearing all these different and like I love working with all these different bands, but on a simplicity level, it's like, oh, when they're home, I'm home. And like that's it. That would be there'd be something to be said about that. What I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. Would you dig yourself into a hole potentially mixing the same band over and over? And by that I mean we're tinkerers, you know, like we, we are always trying to get the most out of our, our shows. Would you find, you think you'd find yourself like changing too many things? I feel like I would just get bored with something and be like, okay, new desk, new challenges, you know, especially when it's the, I mean, I haven't had the luxury of doing a band with the uh, outside of steel Panther on monitors and like having to go through various consoles and jump between them. I'm lucky enough between, um, owning a lot of gear and just knowing a lot of people and making things easy that I've always been really able to carry a console. Um, so doing fly dates was the first time where I'm like, okay, properly kind of encountering different desks. And like, it's the same band. We always bring our same mics. Stands don't matter. Cables don't really matter. So it really is the desk, especially when you're 90% on in-ears. Um, like that's what changes how things sound um, in my workflow on them. So I feel like if I started to mix a band, especially at front of house, when I was kind of allowed to be a little bit more creative and less, you know, I have to do what the band needs to hear because they're playing and I do the hearing part. <laughs> um, I feel like I would probably just start doing like ridiculous, like console configurations and things like, like I recently built, um, I kind of wanted to use it. I had a band I worked for with called for the fallen dreams. They had a front, they had a front of house guy coming to sub in for me and they wanted to bring a console. And it was like, Oh man, what do I have in this warehouse that like, I don't really need for shows and is like cheap enough that I could kind of whip together. And I put together, I had a touchscreen laptop and an X32 rack lying around. I'm like, okay. But asking this dude to do the iPad thing would kind of be annoying. And having front of house IO is nice. Um, The band owns an X32 rack for their ears. So I put that in a Circle 3 rack with a router. And then I started dabbling with mixing station. And I just tickled it just enough to go like, ooh, there's a lot of cool stuff I could do with this, which is how customizable the layouts were. So that was kind of one rabbit hole. I'm like, yes, I have the C1500 over there. And that would be great. But also, this is kind of weird and fun, and I want to try it. And, like, I'm getting close. If I do some more shows on the SQ, I would like to take the SQ out on maybe, like, a weekend run and just, like, see what it's like um, and see if I like it more. Because there is, like, a simplicity to that workflow. The DLive lets you do so much that sometimes you try to do too much. Yeah, I find myself, like, with Atreyu in particular, especially, like, when we were out in Europe and we were on that seven-week run earlier in the year, by the end of week seven, I had I had tweaked my file so much that I really didn't like how it sounded, so I reset back to zero, and I'm like, oh, sounds so much better. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't put three compressors on something, and I haven't, uh, you know, dynated it to death or whatever, so, mm-hmm. yeah. All those, like, like one dB adjustments on thresholds throughout the show but you got you know 31 shows (laughs) so you find yourself doing like wow it's just slamming it and also i feel like being a lot of that would be dependent on the band that i'm working for um because there's bands where like you just don't go changing stuff you can't or you can and you find out quickly that you shouldn't and then there's other bands that are like very much a part of the conversation of like oh it sounds like that 
well, what if we put a different mic on the snare? It's like, whoa, you suggested that? I didn't have to like sell you on that idea? Ooh, okay, we're gonna be friends. Like people who are also kind of like inquisitive and curious about how all this stuff works like we are and like makes it kind of a science experiment throughout the tour. I like those bands a lot. Fun questions do we have you got a favorite show you've done i bet it's been one of those shows where it's just like yeah we got all the k1 in the country it's been like one of those <laughs> it really is <laughs> <laughs> something in australia it was probably not fest or something like that yeah i think i think my most favorite was probably one of the not fest shows oh no maybe not maybe uh there's probably two probably one of the not fest shows in australia uh k1 k2 and then the other favorite would have been incarceration a couple of years ago was stitched up heart at, I mean, incarceration, the PA there is just, it's, it's obnoxious. It's, it's, it's way too much. I think, uh, Shelby Eisenberg, who does what wage war and a number of other bands these days, I think he's working for, uh, Eddie Van Halen's mammoth or, uh, Wolfgang Van Halen's mammoth now. But, uh, we counted like over 128 KS 28s on, on that stage, you know, and, and then somebody said, well, those are probably just the ones you can see, because if I know the system engineer, you know, there's lots of other stuff uh, hiding under the stage and blah, 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 blah. And, and yeah, that that PA is impressive. Least favorite. Least favorite show or least favorite PA? Ooh, show. But tell us your least favorite PA as well. Least favorite PA. Ah, I don't think this is any secret to most people, but aside from like homemade stuff, which I've actually had to mix shows uh like touring shows on homemade pa and they've been just awful um oh my god there's also the place in arizona that was terrible um least favorite pa in general uh, if somebody said you can have x number of dollars to buy pa and carry it though the pa i absolutely would never carry is meyer really yeah that's a hot, i think that's kind of a hot take yeah, I, I know I'm not, I'm not, uh, it's not the mainstream or majority opinion, but I just don't like Meyer PA. I've mixed on Panther, I've mixed on everything, in, you know, Lion, Leo, Milo, you know, everything in between, even the X40, uh, which is like a little club. Oh, yeah, level. yeah, yeah. And they, X40s. I just don't like them. Um, it's just not the flavor you like. It doesn't, you know, I mean, I mean, the, they're all, all these PAs sound good, but like they all do have, you know, a feel to them all. So, yeah, yeah to me, Meyer, uh, oh, <laughs> hopefully nobody's listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're not trying to bash. We're just trying to be honest. Yeah. That's, I think that's fair. Meyer to me feels very much like, uh, early Vertec, uh, mm. in that mm -hmm. it's, it's generally really, really bright and I have to carve a lot of mid-high and high frequency out of it and for some reason no matter what system it is i get a headache from meyer like mm. literally get a physical headache at the end of the show um i don't know what it is there's some ultrasonic frequency i don't know <laughs> i'm just grasping at straws <laughs> yeah but, but yeah that's uh that's that's it my least favorite show i've ever done was with gemini syndrome at a venue in redding california and uh the the club owner was absolutely insane and his pa consisted of uh some ev entry level powered speakers i can't remember what the lowest level is like 
mm-hmm. like ZLX or something like that. Yeah, the walk into Guitar Center and I need a PA. Yeah, kinda. yep. And then he had a, a home theater subwoofer as his subs, and he expected us to do a Gemini Syndrome <laughs> show, which has, they don't have any amplifiers. You know, they're all modeling amps. And he had sold out the club. It was like 350 capacity. But normally he would have like folk bands or open mic night there or com- mm-hmm. or comedy, you know. And the stage was literally like eight feet deep by like 14 feet wide. And th- we had three bands that were going to try and fit on that stage. And it was, it was, that was my least favorite. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's what you mentioned homemade boxes. I've, uh, it's been hit or miss on the homemade box, homemade Kunko boxes, because a lot of these boxes, are, I think, are clones of, you know, very popular, you know, JBL um, or or uh, EV, you know, stuff from the 80s and 90s. Um, like uh, if you've been to the film Fillmore in Detroit, all of their wedges are like thunder audio f- from Detroit. They're just proprietary wedges and they sound great. And those are kind of the homemade ones that I'm like, yeah, those are pretty sweet. I used to have some like homemade dual 12 wedges that were fucking like three, three times my weight, but they sounded awesome. And like, no one would ever blow them up because they were that loud. Um, But yeah, then for every one of those, you walk into a club and you like look and be like, I see zero logos. There's no, I don't, I don't know what that is. That is, that is a a 10 inch woofer, I think. (laughs) And you're like, what am I, what am I doing here? Um. So funny because you know, to some people, the machine shop might be that club, actually. To some people, not to say there's anything wrong with the machine shop PA, I'm just saying it's not what you run into very often. So, if you're not, if you don't know what's going on with that system and you're not familiar with it, you might walk into that room and be like, Oh no, when it sounds pretty freaking good for what it is. Yeah, built by John Tanner himself, that PA, and it's 20 some years old, but it sounds great. So, sounds great. How many, P- yeah, how many people do you know built a PA? And then just like, that's it. That's like 99% of what he's mixed through. Like, it's just John. And like, that's why when you go to the machine shop and you hear when he mixes a band, it sounds a certain way. Because that's John's home. That's his room. That's his PA. Like, he knows that better than anyone ever will. Yeah. And he's always working on his mix. Like, he multi-tracks mm-hmm. every single rec- every show. And then he goes home and mixes that same show more at his house. It's like, yep. it's like he is killing it for a reason because he puts in the time and he's just got all the experience and, and everything too. So. Shout out to John Tanner. Love that guy. Yeah, love you, John. I'm curious. This is just spawned by me because I have my own ritual now. Like when you wake up in the bunk, when you feel like we're parked, we're at the venue, what – what do you like go i want to go do this maybe and like i want to try to like frame this in the not what you have to go do if you're a tour manager and you need to go do things but like if you get a moment to go what like it's a new town or someplace you haven't been what are you seeking out what are you going to try to go find oh i did a lot of that in europe and usually i the first thing i did was i would go on google maps and look for local attractions that were walkable within the area I spend way too much money on Ubers and Lyfts and things like that. So my goal was always to try and find something that I could walk to within reason. So in Europe, that was a lot of cathedrals or a lot of, um, you know, uh, old castles and things like that. In the States, lately my tour, I am sound like I'm bragging, but lately my tours have been 
a lot of arenas and amphitheaters and there's not, oh, mm-hmm. you know, not a lot in the area that you can usually go to, but I'll usually try to grab somebody and go get breakfast or something somewhere if it's not catered and uh, try to find like a cool greasy spoon hole in the wall type of breakfast place that isn't something I'm likely to encounter anywhere else in the country. So yeah, when I wake up, I hit Google, see what's in the area, go try to walk and do something. Uh, might be a flea market, might be, you know, a boardwalk or something if it's on the East Coast. And then uh, I usually don't have the luxury of having a lot of time to myself on tour or to go do things like that. Because like I said, with the Treyu, we all wear so many hats that we're pretty much off to the races right away. But yeah, I'd say that's it. Yeah, my, my thing was... Um especially on the Steel Panther and Badflower tours than being, you know, one bus, one trailer, a lot of club tours, having the luxury of, well, depending on how you look at it, parking on the street and thus, so you wake up and you walk out the door and you're like, I'm in the city. Um, It was always finding what, where can I find good coffee before load in? You know, everyone's got, you know, some pot of black coffee that's just kind of stewing and burnt and kind of, I'll drink it. I will. I'm going to sound like a snob right now. I don't care. I like really good coffee and I like to kind of, if I have, you know, if time allows it to wake up and kind of rise with it. So it was really nice to be able to do that and go, you know, look up walking distance coffee shops and cafes and stuff like that. Um, it was nice to be, and I found that was ways for me to bond with band members that I hadn't, you know, gotten a lot of time to spend with because they were, Oh, you're a coffee guy. Let's go. We, we, you just find yourself, you know, starting to find, you know, Anthony from, Backflower, the drummer, he would, you know, eventually through the tour would just text me like, I know you're busy, but like really good coffee place right here. You, if you have time, go for it. And like, I'd find him and I'd be like, how are you doing on coffee? He's like, I could go for a second cup. And we kind of be each other's like, we need more. kind of, And we just go find coffee spots. And that's the little stuff that I really like. Yeah. Um, the arena tours. Yeah. You don't get to do that as much. It kind of sucks whether you're busy because you're waking up earlier because you're, I don't know, I was always like, you know, a system tech or something. So I'd be getting up and helping to dump the truck. Um, or you're busy being a tour manager and like, you don't get to go off campus really like going off campus on an arena tour or a shed tour usually means something's like wrong. You are like solving a problem that you kind of really didn't want to have to when going off campus, when you're playing, you know, a nightclub in Toronto is like, Oh, sweet. We get to see like what Thai foods around. <laughs> Very, very different. Totally agree. I did a, a van, uh, an all fly date slash van tour with a EDM style band out of Europe called Corolla Dust. I did that last year. And that tour was really fun for me because the guys are, none of them were from the U.S. They were all from U.K., Germany, uh, Sweden, blah, 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 blah. And having people that don't tour the U.S. very often on in a van with you or you know flying from airport to airport like every single day they would go try to find a diner to go have lunch at because they loved american diners and so it was super awesome to be able to just go find a diner sit down and have diner food you know versus you know eating catering or throwing something together on the bus or or whatever so yeah there's there's like something about that simple luxury or being able to afford that simple luxury of doing that really bonded the the tour. I, those guys are amazing guys. I love them to death. And um, I'm really grateful for that tour, too, for, for that reason. 
What other questions? I don't even how much. How far are we into this thing? I'm, I'm a, We're at about an hour thirty, so we should probably try to wrap it up. This oh, wow. is probably yeah, one of yeah. the longest episodes ever. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Mostly because uh, I wouldn't shut up earlier. Oh well, that was a very interesting story. I don't want to gloss over that. Like knowing, I mean, that's you answered like half of these questions and most of the questions I had just by explaining like that whole like that flow chart. <laughs> Yeah, I did that all off the top of my head too. So it's like you I, didn't have notes. I no. I was wow. Okay, I'm even more impressed because I was like, he's got to have this like typed in like a notepad or something. No, wow, I used to, it's all. I used to have a nearly photographic memory. Like I would win bets from people. They would show me like a, a five dollar bill, and I could tell them the serial number after just seeing it, like for a couple of seconds. So. Uh, those days are fleeting me now as I get older and I'm on medication for my heart that affects my, uh, memory a little bit. So my memory isn't what it used to be, but I still can remember most things. Well, should we wrap this up by just kind of talking about what we're, what we're working on next? I love it. What we, what we can talk about. Yeah. yeah. Go, go for it. What are you, what are you doing? Well, uh, this will be the first time I think that anybody's formally heard it, but I got offered the front of house position for dance, Gavin dance. So I'm super excited for that. Uh, huge thanks to Travis Wade. I had Travis on one of the very early episodes of Mixmaster. Travis is an amazing front of house engineer. I, I stood next to him at a number of festivals and really loved his mix and what he's doing. But he has sort of moved into more of a management role uh, with the company that he works for now. So He's uh, still very much in the music biz, but he's handing over the reins to Dance Gavin Dance, and I know a number of people got asked to do it, and I must have been the only guy who wasn't busy because they they offered it to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I took I took that opportunity. So uh, really excited to be doing Dance Gavin Dance. They're doing a U.S. headliner at the end of August through October, and then they go to Hawaii, New Zealand, and Australia in November. So that'll be really cool. So I've got that. I've got leg two of this story of the year tour coming up. I leave for that in eight days. So I'll have to try to get this edited and released before now and then. And yeah, that pretty much fills up my whole year. Yeah, I've, uh, what have I been doing? Because of all this downtime with my company, I've been able to kind of like put out feelers and start to like try to find more artists I can work with. Um, I'm driving to Chicago tomorrow because... I live four hours from Chicago, so it just makes sense for that to be a drive day um, to do front of house slash kind of in-person PM slash TM for an artist named Clinton Kane. Um, he's a kind of younger pop, dare I say, TikTok artist. Um, very different from what I'm also working on tonight, which is my production uh, writer for Code Orange that I've recently kind of signed on with to do monitors slash backline slash production manage and sort of just kind of be another logistical mind in the cog of code orange um we have a bunch of festival appearances and some one-offs coming up in the next few months um what else am i working on what's the other i'm going out with bad flower and now the only band that i've ever the only band i have ever mixed front of house and monitors for now um i'm gonna go do front of house and cover for my buddy uh will aka billop um <laughs> he's uh he also worked for a band named filter so conflicts are conflicts i'm the only other front of house engineer that bad flower has ever had 
um, me and Will are the only two, you know, people that have ever mixed them on a regular basis. So whenever Will can't do something, they usually call me. And then I like doing monitors for them. So, um, uh, and I have some one-offs booked with them as well. And after, um, after this tour with them, it kind of goes into me not being on tour, but just feeling like I am basically September through October with it being fly here to that festival, advance for this, do that, blah, blah, blah. So all, you know, I get to do all the tour stuff, but I never get to ride in the bus. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I love... No, go ahead. No, I was going to say I love the Bad Flower Camp so much. Uh, I got to TM them and help out. And, man, what a what a great band. If if anybody listening has not seen their live show, go see it. It's it's top. Fantastic yeah, band. T- one of my favorite shows, uh, you know, to be involved with behind the scenes, but also just watch from the audience. They're they're so good. So, uh, they they keep calling me all of the time too, and I'm always busy. I wish I wasn't. <laughs> and they yell about they yell to me about. It. They're like, Steve never wants to come out. I'm like, Steve's a pretty busy guy. Steve wants to come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Steve wants to be there. I mean, yeah, Bad Flower is the only band that I've kind of come to this realization of like, yeah whatever role you can fit me in, I'll just come out. Like they're just really, really good guys and a fantastic hang and a really good band. And they know what it takes. And they're all very, they're very tech savvy too. So they understand kind of what we are doing. So they're very understanding when things start to break or, Oh, well, if we want this outcome, it's a two way street sound guy has to do the sound thing, but then also, you know, guy who is the source of sound needs to also adapt they're very good about understanding that rather than being you know the bands that are just like it doesn't sound perfect and i don't understand why because i'm perfect but (laughs) yeah they tick every single box for good vibe and you know just great musicians and good people yeah absolutely love those guys same shout out to jordan their production manager everything kind of guy who's you know their videographer their photographer their uh, set designer he builds like fabricates set designer, everything yep he helps with the lighting programming um yeah he's just he's an he's an all tech he's an everything guy he guitar techs for them when they can't find a guitar tech he drums tech for them when they have a guitar tech and they need a drum tech and like you know he just he's their guy yeah i love jordan like i'm just so I think we're both really lucky to have been working with a lot of really awesome people, but there's a couple of people that are on my short list, like Justin Keir, Jordan Wolfbauer, Evan Potter, uh, Chris LaPlante. There's guys, Bon Loman. Oh my God, I love Bon from Story of the Year. I don't think you've met Bon yet, but he is, Mm-mm. he's just, he's the dude. Like he is so great. Uh, but yeah, we're, man, thank you to all of you that are out there that I've been able to work with and make my life easy. And, and I'm just so grateful for everybody that's, that's doing those things. And Jordan is like at the top of that list. That guy's amazing. <laughs> we gotta, we should get him on an episode. I'll talk to him. Oh, it'd be so fun. On one. That'd be awesome. I have no idea. He's had an interesting background and yeah. story to get where he's at too. I'd love to hear it like in totality. All right. Well, stay tuned because we'll have another mix masters episode. Uh, that is not a mix master, so to speak. Although Jordan does know sound. So he does, he might, he's kind of, he's me and him have talked a lot about him trying to be a front of house guy and he doesn't, he's like, I don't think I'm good enough. And I'm thinking like, Oh, you've, you've literally figured out all this other stuff. You will be just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So with that, I guess let's put a bow on this episode where I have been the guest. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, me, for being on the podcast. <laughs> so fat. <laughs> and thank you, Dave, for uh, 
asking questions and and enduring my long-winded uh, responses. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to hear it anytime. Yeah. So have safe travels on your next upcoming tours. Have fun at Lollapalooza. And until then, uh, I guess I'll look forward to chatting with you on the phone via text or via Instagram. Seems to be the two ways that we stay in contact. Yes, sir. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, It's been a pleasure. I hope you took some enjoyment out of hearing my story, and hopefully that answered a bunch of questions. If you have questions, visit the website, send them to me via email, and I try to get back to everybody as quickly as possible. But until then, stay safe, and we will see you all at a show soon. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mix Masters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mix Masters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Sure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.